Three triple Z. Ninety-two point three FM. The following program is in English. Thank you. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. And Hanukkah Sameach, everyone. I have to tell you, I've outpaced myself, I am all ponchkud and sufganiot and lucked out, and we're only halfway through our beautiful Hanukkah. I'm not sure that I can keep from plutzing. I'll tell you something. I wish the UN, you know, that anti-Semitic united nothing, would plutz and plutz big time. Two days ago, on the 74th anniversary of the United Nations' decision to recognize the Jewish people's right to statehood and the partition plan, on November 29th, the UN held only a solidarity event with the Palestinians while ignoring the founding of Israel and the history of massacres and expulsions of 850,000 Jews from Arab countries and Iran. The pro-Palestinian conference on solidarity with the Palestinian people was held in the United Nations General Assembly on Monday. The conference intended to strengthen support for the Palestinians' right of return was attended by the President of the General Assembly, the President of the Security Council, Juan Ramon de la Fuente Ramirez of Mexico, and the Palestinians' Authority Ambassador to the UN, and the representatives of Palestinian civil society. I am sick of the anti-Semitic UN, united nothing. I could bang on about this for the whole program. That said... I'll leave it for another time as we have two excellent guests waiting, along with our radio tour guide in Israel, Effie Yacobi. And on with Lachaim, two live Jewish life for more, here on 92.3 FM, 3 Triple Z. Stick around. Private members' business, notice number four, the member for Goldstein, a move motion relating to Jewish Australian internet radio. The member for Goldstein has the call. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. I move the motion relating to the Jewish Australian internet radio in the terms in which it appears on the notice paper. Because making sure that every part of our community is represented in the media and that people have an avenue and opportunity for their voices to be heard is critical. Australia's, Jewish, Australia's community is in, uh, blessed and enriched by the incredible Jewish heritage and cultural traditions uh, that inform the development of the, of the fullness of the Australian way of life. And JR, of course, provides a critical role as part of that rich social fabric so that Jewish Australians can hear the voices and the issues of concern to them. And I'm very proudly a representative that represents the third largest Jewish community in Australia, divided between McNamara and Goldstein, as well as Higgins as well. And we're very proud to make sure that we support this important community organisation, support its ongoing broadcasting to support our fellow Australians. As the clip indicates, that was Federal Member for Goldstein, Tim Wilson, in Parliament throwing his much-appreciated support behind Jair in its endeavours for securing its own radio licence. Joining us tonight on L'Chaim is member for Goldstein, Tim Wilson. Tim Wilson, welcome to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Thanks so much for having me. Tim, March 2020, you moved a motion in the Federal House of Representatives that had bipartisan support from Josh Burns, ALP, Dr Katie Allen, Liberal, 
Mike Kelly, ALP, in support of the Jewish Community Radio, JR, being allocated its own broadcast licence for the Melbourne metropolitan area after over six years of unsuccessful application to the relevant instrumentality, ACMA. Following the bipartisan support this issue received in both houses of federal parliament, JR managed to secure its own spectrum on the FM band and thereby its future survival. Our executive producer of Lahaim, Dr. George Banky, was the immediate past president of JR, and I was a presenter at JR for over six years as well as being on the board for a number of years. It was George who put in motion and worked tirelessly for JR successfully securing its own license. Tim, on behalf of the community, I would like to thank you for your ongoing support to the Jewish community that is highlighted in the clip that we played before introducing you tonight. Pleasure. I mean, JR is immensely important community radio, ultimately because it touched on both the cultural life of the Jewish community, but more critically because it also played an important role around some of the unique security challenges that are also faced by the Jewish community. And so to give that a full voice and to also show ACMA, the regulator, that there was bipartisan support was of critical importance to getting the outcome because You know, while we don't dictate these decisions from the federal parliament, we do give them to independent bodies to make decisions. When they see clear bipartisan commitment and bipartisan support, it can have a big impact in their decision making. And I was very happy to see myself with, you know, the Labor member for McNamara, Josh Burns, back in that motion. Um, But also people like Senator James Patterson give an endorsement in the Senate as well, because it's a sign of what happens when you have a good community organisation, just like many Jewish community organisations doing good work and getting the rewards that are just. Terrific. Well done. Tim, prior to being elected to federal parliament in July 2016, you were Australia's Human Rights Commissioner. In that role, you worked with government to reform laws to stop and prevent terrorism, improving economic opportunities for Indigenous Australians, as well as standing up for marginalised communities from public harassment. You're also an advocate for protecting free speech and religious freedom. Great stuff. And you are Assistant Minister to the Ministry for Industry, Energy and Emissions. Like anyone to tell me, that's not public commitment with diversity and knowledge. Tim, how did the uh, Human Rights Commissioner position come about and what did you take away from it? I, I think some people might say I'm a sack of punishment, um, <laughs> but, but I, I like the hard job, let's put it that way. I, look, the, the opportunity Human Rights Commissioner came as a result of former Labor government back before 2013 and they tried to abolish the position of Australia's Human Rights Commissioner. And the then federal opposition, led by Tony Abbott, said they wanted a position called the Freedom Commissioner. And so what happened was they proposed putting something forward. They got elected to government. They then identified that the Office of Human Rights Commissioner was vacant and they wanted somebody with a very strong focus on people's freedom and how that should interact in a free society. And I had kind of a pedigree in that space. So I was appointed by the government. And, you know, it's actually a great privilege of a role because it's nationwide and you have to deal with lots of challenging issues from, as you said in the introduction, issues around economic development for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders working with asylum seekers and some of the challenges we had at the time around children in detention. So multifaceted and really frankly broadens you as a person because you know there's no easy job in that space and you get to see the full spectrum of Australian life. Wonderful, terrific. Tim, Goldstein has a large Jewish constituency. What are the numbers and what are the general boundaries of Goldstein? Goldstein, so Goldstein's named after a woman, Vida Goldstein, who was a suffragette. And it's basically south 
of Glen Huntley Road, covering parts of Elstonwick, Caulfield South and uh, Glen Huntley, Bentley McKenna Normand, as well as all of the city of Bayside. So, you know, geographically has about 105,000 people, but is one of the smallest electorates in the country because it's basically just housing and local parks and golf clubs and the like. So I mean, I'm very privileged to represent as a community, but it's also one you can drive around before breakfast, which is pretty good. Some of my federal parliamentary colleagues, it can take them three weeks to drive around their entire electorate from town to town because they can be up to 750,000 square kilometres. Goldstein's 55 square kilometres. And one of the things that we're blessed with is a very strong Jewish community. In fact, it makes up about 7% of the total community, which is not an insignificant share. And it's certainly one of the largest religious and ethnic communities in the electorate. I live next door in McNamara and I take my mum to Bentley six days a week. Ah. (laughs) I drive past your office here. Tim, to quote you, talk is cheap, it's action that counts. Please take us through some of your successful results whilst in Parliament. This is starting to sound too puff piece for my liking, but um, <laughs> uh, where I get to spruik my own successes. But uh, look, I've had a really interesting parliamentary career. I've done things like uh, I, last election, I ran the nationwide campaign against Labor's retiree tax, which ultimately was a key contributor to the re-election of the government. Also was one of the key advocates to stop an extradition treaty being ratified with the People's Republic of China, which would have led Australians to being exposed to China's opaque judicial system. I was one of the key protagonists around delivering marriage equality to allow uh, all couples, you know, equal rights before the law. I focus very heavily on improving medical privacy laws. Obviously, I was also a very big protagonist around Australia's plan to deliver carbon neutrality by 2050. So I'm kind of an outcomes-focused guy, and half the challenge in federal parliament is you've got to both stand for things, but you've also got to take people with you. There's a lot of people who get elect parliament, and they take strong stands, but they can't deliver outcomes, and I try and focus on doing both. You've certainly done that. Now, Tim, uh, 2016, you increased the uh, Liberal Party two-party preferred vote over Labor from 11% to 12.7%. Lost a little bit of ground in 2019 to 7.8%. The election's next year. How do you feel you're tracking uh, this far out? And please, some views on um, the new kid in the race, Zoe Daniels, who claims to be an independent. Well, you're right. In 2016, I got the best results in the seat's history. So it was always going to come a little bit off that at the 2019 election. There were a few factors working against the 2019 election, but we still delivered, you know, what most people would say is still a pretty good result with around 53% of the primary vote. But, you know, one of the reasons why we get a good result is I don't take the community for granted. I know that while it's traditionally voted my way or the Liberal Party's way, that uh, you have to keep working. And, you know, as I said, working with the Jewish community, working with other community organisations to back them in. And, of course, with residents, we work every day with residents who need assistance and support. And yes, this election, I've got a challenger who claims to be an independent, you know, try and be as respectful as possible. But in the end, she's backed by a group of people mainly made up of people who are supporters of the Labor Party and the Greens. So people, including myself, would question how independent she really is. And, you know, her policy platform is very closely linked to what the Greens are backing. So Uh, People make their own judgments. I know what I stand for, and I'm very strong on things like national security, economic growth and opportunity for all Australians. And I think those are the issues that ultimately dominate the minds of Goldstein voters, and I'm very proud to run on my record. Tim, there was a terrific announcement last week from the government proscribing Hezbollah in its entirety 
as a terrorist organisation. Very much appropriate. Well done to all, and I know a previous guest on Lachaim, Senator Patterson, was a driving force there. Your views on that, Tim? Oh, no, I couldn't agree more. I used to be on the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security, and when this decision was made, I was innocent in uh, those conversations. And I think there's been some pretty big calls made by the government on national security and our interests as a nation and, of course, those of our allies. And we haven't been afraid to make them. And the obvious big one was in the context of the nuclear submarines and the uh, AUKUS decision. But listing terrorist organisations in their totality does have consequences. But we're deciding to do what's right, not what's easy or what's popular by just listing one part or the other. Because, you know, there are countries in the world, obviously Israel being a very important one in the context of Hezbollah, who deserve our backing against their terrorist threats. Great work. Tim, you wrote a book last year, The New Social Contract. Take us through that. Well, it's about 60,000 words, so I'll distill it into this, which is that I'm very concerned about the challenges young Australians face and making sure that we have the reform program we need as a country so that they have the same chance to get a good education, get a good job, be able to raise a family, be able to buy a home towards, of course, eventually seeking out retirement security. But I'm particularly interested in the role of home ownership and the challenges that young people are playing around housing affordability so that they can have the chance to secure the foundations of their working life and retirement. And I'm very concerned about what's happening in home ownership or the declining rates of home ownership amongst younger Australians and what we need to do to address them. Sitting behind that then is a justification for why housing policy should be at the core of government policy and that we need to look at things from planning and zoning regulation to tax reform to make sure that it's intergenerationally just, backs young Australians while giving the security that older Australians need in their vulnerable stage of life. Excellent. Just a couple of more questions, Tim. Another announcement from the government. It's looking at anti-troll legislation, unmasking online anonymous trolls, mostly hateful stuff. Could you please take us through that? You know, the internet has grown to be an anarchic space, particularly social media platforms where people can register accounts without any sense of responsibility and, of course, often engage in bullying behaviour. And we wouldn't tolerate that in the offline world. And so we're simply saying the standard that applies in the offline world where people are held accountable for their conduct should apply in the online world. Some people are saying, well, this is an attack on people's free speech. It's not. Rights come with responsibilities and ultimately accountability. And one of the reasons why people exercise their speech with measure and caution and respect is they know they're going to be held accountable. So we're looking at what type of laws we need to make sure that people engage on social media, people are identified, and that if they cross the line and bully or defame people, they're held accountable because in some cases, the bullying conduct can lead to young Australians taking their own life because they fear that they live in a world that's rigged against them. And we want to back young Australians to be confident, happy, and if they're going to participate on the online world, that they do so where they're treated with respect in exactly the same way they do elsewhere. Absolutely. should be a given. Finally, Tim, Bailey House Christmas Appeal. Normally they put on a performance for um, disabled young adults. It's not going to happen this year because of COVID. Take us through the uh, Bailey House Christmas Appeal. There are two really big charities for people with a disability in the Goldstein Electric. One's Married House, one's Bailey House. But Bailey House does this ripper concert every year at Christmas time, and it's part of their annual tradition. If I recall, they could do it last year. 
and it's hilarious. It's all the clients at Bailey House, about uh, 40 of them participating in a concert. And I always go because it's one of the best nights in the calendar. But it's also a major fundraiser for a charitable organisation. Because of COVID, they're not going to be able to host it again, which is a real shame. So we're encouraging people to donate to them in place so that uh, they don't miss out on valuable funds. And of course, I encourage people to donate to Marriott House in McKinnon as well, because they equally do really important work. Yeah, terrific. And I think Bailey House are putting on a concert, but sort of a virtual concert at the Palais, and you can buy a seat. Um, yeah. I, I definitely will be. Tim Wilson, Federal Member for Parliament for Goldstein. Many, many thanks for your unequivocal support for the Jewish community. And thank you for joining us on Lachaim. Very much appreciated. And let's have you uh, back next year in the run-up to the election. Love to. You take care. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Wow. Federal Member for Goldstein, Tim Wilson, a real mensch. We'll definitely have Tim back on next year in the lead-up to the election. And we'll try and get Independent Zoe Daniels on the program as well. You can follow Tim Wilson on Facebook. Right, speaking of a mensch, the lead singer of the hard rock band Disturbed, David Draymond, announced that he will visit Israel this week and light a candle at the site where Ellie Kay was murdered by Hamas. David Draymond, as I said, a mensch, was a yeshiva boy. He now wears a few trekkers on the pornum fronting Disturbed. Be that as it may, he can sing. And I've been wanting to play this on Lachaim for a long time. So let's have a listen to David Draymond's powerful, powerful Sounds of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left it seems while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains In the sound of silence the streams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone Neath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stared By the flash of a neon light Split the night and touch the sound of silence. And in the naked light, I saw ten thousand people, maybe more. People talking without speaking. People hearing. No one dare 
the sound of silence For said I you do not know Silence like a cancer grows Hear my words and I Suspicious abandoned objects. Sometimes police close down a street to bring bomb squad. This time a suspicious Arab man. They closed down part of a hospital and streets nearby. For Israel News Talk Radio, I'm Mordechai Schenker. A scare but no bomb in the end, which is part of the strategy of terrorism. An Arab from the extended Jerusalem Hills area, Judea, Samaria, walking toward the Rambam Medical Center in Haifa. The Arab man seeming suspicious somehow, apparently. Also, one woman at the scene telling public broadcaster Khan she overheard the suspicious Arab fellow saying into his phone, Today I will be a martyr. Police approaching him, the Arab running away, police hopping on motorbikes, pursuing, catching him, bomb squad coming and inspecting his bags. Israelis, students here for a year, tourists using public transit from time to time experience a 20-minute delay, managed to find somebody who knows what's happening. Often it's just some medium-sized package, some passenger left on the bus or at a bus stop. Of course, better safe than sorry, so the bomb squad rolls in one of their robots to check and possibly safely blow it open if needed. Foreign Minister Benjamin Netanyahu winning points with the Israeli troops going to the Ofer checkpoint handing out donuts. In Israel, police tend to be surprisingly fit with mostly healthy eating habits. As one longtime Ola used to joke, she'd say, police in Israel, especially Jerusalem, they can't even keep one single Dunkin' Donuts open. But 18-year-old soldiers out manning guard posts, pizza, donuts, make their day. In this case, they're Hanukkah. Netanyahu is seeing a major increase in popularity in a recent poll, direct polls, released by Channel 20. If elections were held this week, he'd add five seats, bringing his right-wing Likud party all the way up to 35 seats in the Knesset. But his likely right-wing bloc would only reach 58. That's actually down one seat from the last poll, so still not likely able to form a new government. Interestingly, most of the current coalition losing or breaking even. Current Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's new right party 
would lose almost half their seats, down to four, just barely enough to cross the threshold to stay in the Knesset. Netanyahu rival Gidon Sar's New Hope Party would be out, not enough votes. Left-wing rotating Prime Minister Yair Lapid's Yesha Tid would gain two seats. The far-left Merits Party would lose two seats, but the United Arab List would gain two seats. CCP coronavirus news. Israel might be overreacting to the new South African variant, for our Greek language audience, the Omicron variant. To cope with the impending threat, the government a day ago announcing they'd bring back the Shin Bet security service tracking of infected Israeli citizens, as was done for roughly a year ending back in March. A few human rights groups trying to stop that from happening, including doctors for human rights and privacy in Israel, turning to the state high court, explaining that tracking private health of citizens is not part of the Shin Bet's charter law. Success, the court giving the government until Tuesday late afternoon to reply to try to prove that it is legal. The South African doctor who found this variant chairs the South African Medical Association. She's also on their vaccine advisory committee, telling the Telegraph that people seem to be panicking unnecessarily. She says it largely only causes mild symptoms. She thinks many countries already have it, and that in South Africa, they haven't admitted anybody into the hospital because of the Omicron South African variant. But in Israel, airport people have refused to admit Travelers from South Africa, on the off chance they might have it, you've by now heard this ugly story, police, or whatever passes for security at Ben-Gurion, yelling at and sending incoming passengers back to South Africa, doing it so close to Shabbat, causing passengers against their will to be on the plane violating the Shabbat, flying back, including two people who were coming to comfort the family of terror victim Ellie Kay, who moved here from South Africa, the man who was murdered last week. At least two cases of... The South African variant have been confirmed here now, and others are suspected. I'm Mordechai Schenker, Israel News Talk Radio. The news from Israel is courtesy of INTR, Israel News Talk Radio. Listen online to more straight talk from Israel at israelnewstalkradio.com. Michelle Huppert was born to Austrian parents in the north of France at the beginning of World War II. As a three-year-old, she traveled with her mother, Ruth, in Nazi-occupied France as a child decoy in missions undertaken by her mother, known as Malou, her nom de guerre in the French resistance. In 1952, Michelle and her mother immigrated to Australia to rebuild their lives. After completing her schooling at McRobertson Girls High School, Michelle attended business college following which she built a successful career in the fashion industry. Ten years after Michelle's mother passed away in 2007, she embarked on a journey of remembrance and discovery, which has resulted in the recent publication of her remarkable book, Malou, French Resistance Fighter, the focus of our discussion. Welcome to L'Chaim, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Perhaps you could tell our listeners about your mother's life in Vienna and your parents' decision to go to France in 1933. My uh, grandfather was a Zionist, strong Zionist, and I have to go back to the beginning of the last century when he was very much involved with the Zionist group. His group was called Ivria, and he was very much involved with Theodor Herzl and Heim Weizmann, who were also in that group, and he followed Herzl's and together they went to uh, the first Basel conference with him, which 
I discovered so much later, I was quite amazed. It was something that I didn't realize. In the meantime, he married. He had a child, my mother. And when she was very small, she used to attend with him the meeting in Vienna of um, the Ivria. She was very strong-headed as a little girl already to follow what was in her heart. And so she became involved. And that was the beginning of her birth of modern Zionism for her. It was a very average household. My grandmother also founded a woman's group because they never met together. There were separate meetings in those days. They were until recently here. My mother, she lived a beautiful life in Vienna, socially and educationally. And when she graduated, she went to Paris. She wanted to follow fashion. She wanted to learn French properly. And so she went for a couple of years. When she came back, she married her boyfriend, who was Fred Knepel, my father. And they went to live in Paris. Because there, they established themselves a tiny little factory, which I remember so well, it was across the road from where we lived in a little flat. And he was a knitwear technician. He could work out patterns. And my mother was able to fashion what came out of it. They had very nice friends, non-Jewish friends, who were very instrumental during the war for us. She was easy to make friends. She was easy to be attached to. So that worked out very nicely. Then the war came. Well, I was expected in December of 39, and the war broke up in September. Mm. So the government suggested that expected mother and all the young people should move north because the Germans were coming to Paris. So we went to Picardy in the Somme estuary. There was a little fishing village, Le Crotois, where they used to spend summer holidays. And they went there to friends who had an old, very old farm. And this is where I was born. Beginnings were in a very old farm with the water outside. They had to pump up, but it didn't affect me at all. I blossomed. <laughs> and they, they were there for about six months. And then the Germans came from Belgium. So we had to flee to the south, back to Paris. And then there was a division in France. There was a, an agreement between the Pétain government and uh, the German that France would be divided into free France and uh, occupied. Mm. So again, now we were foreigners in France. We were Jews and then we were looked for everywhere yes. because our name was, before the war, registered. We were registered as residents. So they knew where to find us. That became a hide-and-seek existence mm. for us. What were the circumstances that led Ruth to join the Marquis, which was made up of rural guerrilla bands of the French resistance fighters? We finally left Paris. We went to the south of France, but we separated because I only had, I had my father and his mother, my grandmother, and, and my mother and I. And we were four, and with a baby that they carried in a shopping basket, um, it was not easy to move. So we decided to separate. We went south-east towards Bordeaux, and my father and grandmother went to Nice, where they had uh, friends who were able to procure them with Italian passports. 
Mm. We also had some Italian passport. I, I don't know how it materialized, but our friends in Paris made it possible. And we ended up in villeneuve sur lot And then we were hidden by Italians. They were escapees from Mussolini. And then she found out what they were doing. They found out how very important she would be in their group. And she became Malou because nobody knew their name. No one knew where they came from. Nobody asked questions. And Malou was the only name she gave. I believe that you were involved as a decoy, as I said in the introduction, and part of your role, you had a a silent communication basically through uh, facial gestures with your mother. Yes, it was very interesting. From the beginning, we could communicate with our eyes, you know. I was little, so she used to shut her eyes and shake her head or smile and do this, and I knew exactly what I should do. It was amazing. It was wonderful. So because she had an Italian passport, she could travel freely in trains because at the time, Italy was in favor of the Germans. So there was this woman, nicely dressed always, me nicely dressed always, traveling in a train with Germans. Mm -hmm. And I had to know how to behave. I even learned (laughs) to this stage, my grandchildren remind me how you taught me how to eat with a knife and fork. And that goes back to the time when I had to do it, (laughs) strangely enough. But never left me, stayed with me, passed it on. And so that was it. Who could this little couple do anything? Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, she heard the conversation and where she was going towards a mission, carrying a revolver at the bottom of a big bag, which was never searched fully. She could understand what was going on and report it and then come back the same day and do what she had to do. Extraordinary. So they often queried, was it fair to involve a child? If you ask me today or you ask me then, I would do it again. Because either, it was either we, we live or we die. Yes. I guess extraordinary actions during extraordinary times. Yes. You can't explain it to anybody. How can a child three years old understand all that? But when you live with someone and you go through all these movements, yes. there is a feeling. And I, I, I knew nothing else. So that was my life. And yes. it was a good life for me. She made it good for me. We can't really do proper justice to everything that is in the book, but perhaps you could describe what happened when your mother learned that your father had been imprisoned by the Nazis. Yes, well, he was in Nice, and uh, at the time, being Jewish, he was arrested and put into prison in Lyon. I I don't know how they got to know where he was, but as soon as she heard, she went across the country, the south of the country, from Bordeaux to Lyon is a fair way. So she left me with friends in Villeneuve, that's near Bordeaux, and she went across to get him out. In the process, she got arrested also. She did not wear a star. She had a passport. She was Italian. Yes. And she had a pretty good accent. She had an accent of an Italian woman, not a German woman. So she went there. She went to the uh, chief of police. He interrogated her very thoroughly for a few hours. And after a while, he said, there's a door over there. You go, your husband is on the other side, and you go away. I'll let you both go. 
And she found out later on that he was an undercover resistance fighter. Uh, uh, Amazing. Amazing. What the courage. (laughs) So they both went to Nice and she returned to me. It was amazing. She often said, I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And I can believe at her age, at her time, she was just over 30, 34, something like that, that she had the guts to do it. Yes. How difficult was the process of obtaining all the documents and other information you needed to write the book? I had a pretty good memory with faces and photos. And all I had were faces and photos during the war. And I had quite a few photos at home. And I remembered the, where it was taken, the circumstances. They were happy circumstances. So I dug a little bit further. Then I had the help of, came across two wonderful women, as I write in the book, historians. Mm-hmm. One who was particularly working in that area where we lived, which was amazing. She, she described exactly she was studying that area. And the other one, one Anne Seba, who wrote Les Parisiennes. It's a book I came across in a bookshop. Mm. And it described exactly the life that we led in Paris. So I rang her, I spoke to her. It was amazing. And um, so a lot of details were put together like a puzzle. Yes. So it took a little while. And every bit that I had to explain to myself, and, of course, to the reader, what was happening in France? What was the political situation? Because that's something that a few people knew about. And we had a map of France, which showed our travel, and we showed the division of France during that time. And that helped a little bit to see what we went through. It took a little bit of time. Mm. Yeah. Michelle Huppert. Congratulations on your book, Malou, French Resistance Fighter, which is the extraordinary story of your mother and you. I thoroughly recommend the book to our audience, and I would also direct listeners to the Jewish Holocaust Centre's website where they can watch Michelle's interview with the Centre's Dr Anna Hirsch, in which there is footage from her mother's testimony. Thank you, Michelle. Very, very much appreciated. It was a pleasure talking to you and to your listeners, and I thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle Huppert with Murray. What a beautiful story about her remarkable mother, Ruth Knepelstein, Malou, French resistance fighter. And what could be a more appropriate song than Leonard Cohen's The Partisan? And we'll be right back after The Partisan with Effie Jacoby in Israel. I could not do I took my gun and vanished I have changed my name so often I've lost my wife and children but I have many friends and some of them are with me Shelter kept us hidden 
in the garret Then the soldiers came She died without a whisper There were three of us this morning I'm the only one this evening But I must go on The frontiers are my prison Oh, the wind, the wind is blowing Through the graves the wind is blowing Freedom soon will come Then we'll come from shadow Unforgettable experience. Explore Israel with Effie. Allow me to take you on a journey back into time and see history unfold before your eyes. Shalom Aleichem, Effie Yacobi. Welcome back. We missed you last week. And these things happen. Shalom. Erev Tov Lachem from Effie here in Eretz Yisrael on 92.3 FM. Okay, guys. And I know you've got a busy afternoon, so uh, I was going to mention a couple of discoveries. As you always mention, Almost every day, it's, uh, there's something new that keeps getting discovered that connects us to our Jewish Israel. Last week, it was a silver coin, and this week, it's the uh, Sanhedrin in Yavna, which is close to my heart. But we haven't got time to talk about it because you've got to go out. <laughs> yeah, we've got things to do. Right. <laughs> but never mind. No, first of all, phenomenal discovery of that silver coin. Absolutely stunning. Very few silver coins that have been found and uh, this was uh, absolutely stunning, uh, dated back to that period of time. And a little girl just walking through, sees it, you know, that's it. These guys have got eyes, unbelievable. So another proof of the uh, presence of our people here 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. It's all there. Just the supreme Jewish legislation, the Sanhedrin, that uh, went to the governor after Jerusalem. Yeah. 
Ten, although the Sanhedrin Trail is a well-known trail, but there's always new discoveries showing you the actual presence. Now a building that's dated exactly to that time period that they uncovered up in Yavne. So phenomenal stuff. Absolutely. Beautiful. All right, unpacked. Where are we going? Right. Okay, guys, let's go explore Israel with FE on 92.3 FM, Triple Z. And today we're heading, we're still up north, so we're going to Tel Dan, a phenomenal site, the National Park and Natural Reserve on Route 99 between Kriyat Shmona and Masadeh up on the Golan. Best season all year round. You can stay there from three quarters of an hour to at least two hours, small entrance fee, uh, accessibility rating very high, so people who are challenged can also enjoy the beauty that's there. And, of course, we don't have to go further than Joshua, chapter 19, verse 47, and called Leshem, or Dan, after the name of Dan, their father. So what do we have here? Nachal Dan is the shortest water course among the three sources of the Jordan, but the one that contains the greatest volume. The biblical city of Dan also referred to as Laish or Leshem in antiquity, is mentioned in the books of Joshua and Judges. In Arabic, the spring is called Ein Dan. They also recognize it, spring of the Dan. And the Tel, beside of it, is known as Tel El-Kadi, the Judges Mound. Phenomenal. There are grounds for assuming that these names are preserved from earlier times. The Nachal is a single principal source, but it is also fed by dozens of smaller springs. Walking in this environment, one has the feeling of springs emerging everywhere. And it's true. All this water has its origin from the winter snows on Mount Hermon. The snow melts slowly, seeps into the sponge-like earth of the mountain and emerges in the foothills. The flowing streams and pools beside the current constitute an excellent environment for the development of various species of animal life. Fish swim in the crystal cold water and the deeper undercurrents are breeding grounds for trout. The best trout in Israel is in Kibbutz Dan itself, no doubt about it. The vegetation is particularly lush and exploits a full range of moisture conditions from flying water to complete aridity. Species of vegetation are found here that don't exist in any other area of the country. But if we're looking back into the presence into antiquity, ancient Dan, Tel Dan is located in the eastern area of the reserve. Professor Avraham Biran conducted excavations that led to one of the most written about findings in the 1990s, the Beit David inscription, often referred to as the House of David inscription. Remains from the Canaanite Bronze Period and the monarchic period have been uncovered, including sections of the city wall with a well-preserved Canaanite city gate, a sacrificial altar, perhaps even the altar that was used as a shrine during the period of the Israelite kings and various inscriptions. Dan is cited numerous types in the Bible. Its original name was Laish or Leshem. The tribe of Dan named the town after its conqueror. And this appellation remained until the 4th century AD. During the first temple period, the area served as a ritual center for the northern tribes. Remember that there was the division of the monarchy from the United Kingdom into Israel and Judah in the south. Jeroboam placed a golden calf in the northern sanctuary, erected as written, a house in the high places, an appointed priest from outside the tribe of Levi. Now, that, that really irks me because I'm a Levi and it doesn't do good that someone else claims that he's from there as well. Sites to visit at Tel Dan. Guys, the Bronze Gate, phenomenal. Now, you're going back there close to 4,000 years, a gate from the 18th century BCE, fully preserved with a lintel in the form of an arch. This is one of the earliest archways of its type in the world. You also have the Iron Age, the Israelite Gate, an impressive gate structure built from three pairs of pillars, 
apparently from the first temple period, a shallow wading pool for the kiddies, the flour mill that's there erected 150 years ago and remained in operation until 1948. Two pairs of millstones still remain at the site. A lookout post used by the IDF until the 6th they won in 67, a good view of the patrol path, the Hermon slopes, the abandoned Syrian military outposts of Nukhela and the southern Lebanese village of El Khayyam. A cultic site is there as well, the place where King Jeroboam built a sanctuary for sacrifices flowing in split with the southern kingdom. En El Khadi or En Lesham, a cluster of springs at the base of the ancient mound. Winnie the Pooh tree for the kiddies. Guys, a large and colourful Syrian ash, reminiscent of the tree in A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh stories, a great treat for the kiddies to see. And then, of course, there's the devourer, a hole in the ground that absorbs a vast amount of water without leaving any mark. The rivulets beside it serve as a habitat for salamanders. So, guys, what more do you need? A great day. Absolute for all the kiddies, for people with challenges as well. You're up in the north. Do yourselves a favor. Pop into Tell Done. You won't regret it. So that's all from me. From Effie here in Eretz Israel until next week. Let me once again explore Israel with Effie on 92.3 FM, Triple Z. Bye, guys. Thanks, Effie. Take care. Speak to you next yep. week. No worries. All the best, guys. Take care. Our regular Lechaim listeners will recall that our guest last week with Mori was Frank Malul, founder and CEO of I24 News. And thanks to I24 News, now streaming into Australia on Flash, we have a new occasional segment on Lachaim, Inside Israel with India. There are two nations proving the power of friendship, Israel and Nepal. My name is India, and today we are going to see how these two nations are creating a powerful alliance. Israel is a small country in the Middle East. It is both modern and ancient. Nepal is a mountainous country located in between India and China. It is a land bursting with color and culture and indescribable scenery. But did you know that Nepal was Israel's first friend in South Asia? On June 1st, 1960, Nepal became the first South Asian country to establish diplomatic relations with Israel. Nepal has also proven their friendship by continuing to support Israel at the United Nations. Beyond this, Israel and Nepal share some similarities. Nepal is home to the highest place on Earth, Mount Everest. And Israel is home to the lowest place on Earth, the Dead Sea. But more importantly, Israel and Nepal share bonds between their people. Thousands of Israelis travel to Nepal each year, and there are also thousands of Nepalis who live here in Israel. Seriously, Israelis love Nepal so much that they created a TV series that shows the lives of a Jewish family living in Nepal, even featuring Israeli actress Gal Gadot. And now, there is one extraordinary Nepali woman who I would like to introduce you to. Namaste, Salom, I'm Anjan Sakya, Ambassador of Nepal to the State of Israel. She was voted Diplomat of the Year in Israel, and I have more than 2,000 friends in Israel. Most of us are lucky just to have a few friends. But for Ambassador Anjan, it is her love for people that drives her diplomatic mission. Few months back, Nepal was badly hit by the pandemic. I wanted to send medical supplies to Nepal and with the help of friends in Israel, we were able to raise $1.5 million in the medical supplies 
within two months. Even though she has a small team, the reach of her friendship went far. I believe connecting the people is one of the most important things to do as an ambassador. I look forward to seeing the bright future of Nepal-Israel relations, and I'm glad to be a part of this journey. From the lowest point in the world to the highest, Israel and Nepal carry a special connection. And with incredible leaders like Ambassador Anjan bringing Israel and Nepal together, one friend at a time, this connection is sure to grow. This is the power of friendship and alliance. This is Inside Israel. My name is India and I'll see you next time. Inside Israel of India is courtesy of I-24 News, the 24-7 news service from Israel, which streams at i24news.tv and on Australia's biggest news streaming service, Flash. Go to flashnews.com.au and subscribe. Now for headlines from tomorrow's Australian Jewish News, the voice of Australia's Jewish community. Gaza and COVID fuel spike in anti-Semitism. Hanukkah lights up CBD. Mixed reaction to religious discrimination bill. Israeli and Aussie health officials discuss Omicron. Caulfield Shul farewells Rabbi Ralph. Frankie Hill takes helm of UIA. Community walks for domestic violence victims. Lapid rallies Johnson and Macron against Iran. Malaysia stripped of squash tournament over Israel ban. To read more coverage of local, federal and international news, opinion, arts, lifestyle and sport, pick up your copy of the Australian Jewish News from newsagents and supermarkets in southeast of Melbourne or for weekly home delivery, subscribe at subscribe.jewishnews.net.au. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's Lachaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the Lachaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Lachaim podcasts are also available at JWire, Digital Jewish News Daily for Australia and New Zealand. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at L'Chaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, Click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lachaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Murray Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. The Jewish world lost another entertainment giant. The towering musical theatre master, Stephen Sondheim, passed away a few days ago, aged 91. 
Stephen Sondheim, the songwriter, reshaped the American musical theatre in the second half of the 20th century with his intelligent, intricately rhymed lyrics, along with his use of evocative melodies and his willingness to tackle unusual subjects. His most famous ballad, Send in the Clowns, has been recorded hundreds of times, including by Frank Sinatra and Judy Collins. In his early career, Sondheim wrote the lyrics for two shows considered to be classics of the American stage, West Side Story, 1957, and Gypsy, 1959. West Side Story, with the music by Leonard Bernstein, transplanted Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet to the streets and gangs of modern-day New York. I have a connection to West Side Story. Leonard Bernstein was my mother's cousin. So, as it's Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, we're going to close out tonight's L'Chaim with a West Side Story Hanukkah parody. So thank you for tuning in, and please join us again next week on L'Chaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai, and peace. Candles were lighting on Hanukkah Blessings reciting on Hanukkah Fried foods were biting on Hanukkah Family uniting on Hanukkah I made a clay dreidel to spin Why does it only land on shin? Sufganiyot with my family I'll take a latke if you please Chocolate money on Hanukkah Lockers are crunchy on Hanukkah Presents from Bobby on Hanukkah I want a puppy for While proudly we proclaim we're free Menorah, recall the great temple's menorah And how the oil they found kept burning strong and proud brightly Menorah, watch the flames as they're dancing, swaying Feel the joy of the blessings we're saying Lights, it's called Hanukkah. Dear mighty Antiochus, you gotta understand. Good boys, you can't start to this and get out of our land. The soldiers smashed our temple, and all our royal is bad. Goodness gracious, now you made us mad. G King Antiochus, you're really obtuse. You'll never get us worshiping Apollo or Zeus. We don't bow to idols, you're made out of wood. Life's polytheism's no good. It's no good, it's no good, it's no good. Oh, no, it's just no good. All this polytheism's no good. Eight nights, eight nights, we 
celebrate God's might. 